Welcome to Christian Living Spotlight, an extension of Christian Living Magazine. We invite you to join us as we take a deeper look into the stories and ministries highlighted in Christian Living Magazine. Hi, I'm Sandy Jones, and I'm happy to say Happy New Year and welcome to Christian Living Spotlight, where each week we take a deeper dive into the stories and ministries you'll find in the pages of Christian Living Magazine, a 501c3 nonprofit ministry. I'd like to take this opportunity to thank the people who've made this show possible through a generous grant. They make this show possible each and every week. We have a great show for you today. Joining me is Pastor Tom Greco, who is the lead pastor of the Ontario Community Church in Ontario, Oregon, and has graciously shared a bit of his own personal story with our readers in our recently published January edition of Christian Living Magazine. Tom, thank you so much for joining me today. Sandy, thanks for the invitation. How you doing? Good. Good. I was, we always try to talk a little bit, work out the bugs, and be on the first show mm-hmm. when I've been out of town for a while, so I had, I had a little extra bugs this morning myself. So I might also mention that in our September 20, 2022 issue, you were one of our contributing writers. So thank yeah. you for that. A lot of people don't realize that most of our writers volunteer their time, talent, and expertise. So that's a big thing. So it's a really, truly a, a gracious, heartfelt thank you. Well, I appreciate it. For that. And I appreciate the opportunity just to share my devotions with others. You texted me yesterday, um, one, that it was so funny because um, you and I have not met personally until today. And this text comes in my phone, says, possibly Tom Greco, and I'm reading it. And it was so funny because so much of it was a direct answer to prayer I had given to God this week. And I was just like, and I had asked God, make your voice be the loudest one in my head so I'm sure it's you. That was a pretty loud. So so thank you for, for being faithful to that, too, because that had to give you a moment of pause to go, um, do I really send this to this lady? I don't know her. <laughs> well, I, I've been... Uh ever since COVID, trying to touch my church in different ways. And, you know, when for almost two years we were shut down because the state of Oregon thought churches were not essential. Although their marijuana dispensaries were essential. And it was crazy. And so I wanted to touch them in some way. And what I found was this devotionals, just writing a devotional and sending it out once a week, twice a week, really touch people. Yeah. And, you know, that's what happened uh, numerous times. People would call me and say, how did you know that I needed this? How did you know that this was exactly what I needed to hear today? And I said, I don't have a clue, but God did. Yeah. And that's why I send it to yeah. you. It was, it was amazing. I was just like, wow, this is, this is way cool, because it was, you know. Um, so, so thank you also for that. So you were recently on Skip Hall's show, um, which is Game Plan for Life, here on 94.1 The Voice. And I've listened to that. And, and Skip Skip is, um, I always laugh and tell people I'm, I'm a real hick. Skip is more professional and polished. <laughs> Bless his heart. I love Skip. Um, but you have quite the resume, and he went through that resume. Um, you're, you're a colonel, a retired colonel. Retired colonel. With the Army. Um, you're a West Point graduate. Um, in business management, which is interesting, you're an ordained pastor. You've been married to over 46 years yeah. to your wife. Yeah. My best friend. That, and that's an accomplishment in itself. It's more perseverance on her side. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I always introduce my husband as the better half, the nicer, better half. <laughs> this is my husband, Steve. He's the nicer, better half. Um, and three great adult children and eight grandchildren. And and you now pastor 
Ontario Community Church. I do. That's that's an impressive. I I was so funny because it was you know when when um, Gay did your story, I'm just like, oh, he's a pastor. And then I read your your article, and I was like, okay, that's a little bit more. And then I heard this l- list from Skip on his show, and I was just like. And I'm supposed to interview this guy. <laughs> but you're easy to talk to and, and a lot of fun. You have an incredible story about your time, your faith and your time at Desert Storm. So yeah. do you want to share a little bit about that? We've, I know we've, we've talked and we've got some other things we want to talk about today. But I just think that hearing that in your own voice and in your own words is so powerful. Yeah, it is. A, it's an amazing story. And it's all, all God. Desert Storm, I was a battalion commander. I commanded about 1,500 soldiers in the 101st Airborne Division. And our mission at that time was to air assault. We'd fly in helicopters, and my soldiers would get out of the helicopters and then deploy and move into positions and fight. And our mission was to air assault deep behind enemy lines. We would fly behind the Iraqi lines. We would be about 100 miles from Baghdad in the first hours of the war. And our mission was to block this highway. It was called Highway 8, and that led into Baghdad, and it also went south down into uh, the Kuwait area where a lot of the ground fighting was happening. And it was an old airborne-type operation, just like they did in World War II. They jumped the airborne deep inside France, and then they made the beach landing and then the tanks and the infantry moved forward to where the airborne soldiers were. When I got the mission, we were expecting 40% casualties. That's uh, a horrific number. It, it was, you know, 600 a- sons, 600 dads, 600 brothers yeah. that we were looking at. But that's how important this mission was to not allow anything into uh, south and not allow anything to kind of retreat back and back to Baghdad. When we planned this mission, uh, there were two Iraqi divisions on our left and right, and they had about 5,000 to 6,000 soldiers each. Wow. And we were going to fly between them and behind them and land near Euphrates River on this highway. When we did the initial planning, we planned to, we saw a photograph Uh, of where the units were, and we saw about a half-mile corridor where we could fly between. And we said that would be good rather than flying over top of them. Uh, These Iraqi soldiers had the best equipment oil money could buy, and they had surface-to-air handheld missiles that could shoot down our helicopters if we were close or they could see us. So if they could see us, they could kill us. Yeah. We planned to fly between those Iraqi units. We were going to fly probably no more than 16 feet off the ground, so we were right on the ground because their radar picked us up at 16 feet and above. Uh, We were going to fly at night, and we were going to fly pitch black darkness, and we were going to fly night vision goggles, and we'd be flying about 120 miles an hour. I could move my infantry soldiers all that way in Black Hawk helicopters and and bring them back, and the helicopters still would have gas in their tank. But I also had to move vehicles and artillery pieces and large equipment, and the Black Hawk just couldn't handle those. So we used what's like Chinook helicopters. Yeah. They're like a big school bus with twin rotors on top. 
And these held a lot of equipment, but they also ate a lot of gas. Right. So our plan was to to put our infantry soldiers in and bring them back and then start sending our vehicles in Chinooks forward. But when we did the planning, the Chinooks on the way back would run out of gas if we landed on our objective. So we decided to landed short of, land short of our objective and then allow our vehicles to move forward on no roads. And the Euphrates River Valley had flooded that time. And so most of the areas where those vehicles were going to move was knee-deep to thigh-deep mud. Wow. Um, that was our plan. As we rehearsed and prepared our plan, and we were just, you know, doing rehearsals, we're not like, I think as I told Skip, we're just like a football team. We right. practice. We rehearse. Because the less, the more you sweat in peace, the less you bleed in war. And our rehearsals were going horrible. I mean, they were just abysmal. And I was one of the, I was the youngest battalion commander in the Army at that time. I had an ego probably bigger than the state of Idaho. And I thought I was just hot stuff. And I thought, all I need to do is drill down, work harder, and I can get these rehearsals right. But it wasn't happening. Every time we tried to, I tried to do something, intervene, the rehearsals were going worse. And I started getting scared because now I realized that it wasn't, might, might not be 600. It might be my whole unit gets destroyed. That's horrifying. That, I can't imagine the burden that had to be. Yeah, and, you know, I had told the families before when we left, I, we had, you know, we had almost 800 families with 1,500 soldiers and I told the families that I would do everything possible to bring their husbands and their sons back home. And I, I took that as a, you know, my integrity right. to do that. Late that night, as one of these, one of the, during that week we were practicing, I was reading about Joshua and the Battle of Jericho. And I was reading that God had, you know, given Joshua this battle plan. Because Joshua had no way to attack. He had no way to accomplish his mission in Jericho without God helping him. And it was like almost like God spoke to my heart and said, Tom, give this battle to me, just like Joshua gave that battle to me. And then I got a pain in my chest, and I think God was getting a grip on me. Yeah. And... Now with tears in my eyes and this pain in my chest, I just rolled over, got on my knees, asked the Lord for forgiveness, asked the Lord to be the leader of my life, and asked the Lord to be the leader of my unit. That right exact moment, Sandy, I just knew that God was there. God was with me. God was my leader and was going to lead my unit. The pain in my chest abated, you know, my tears stopped, and, and as I tell people, I just knew he was now the leader of my unit. Tom, that's amazing. The next day, we went out and did rehearsals. Everything went right. I mean, my officers went from idiots to geniuses in 24 hours. But what was also interesting is many of my soldiers asked me if I was okay. And I said, I don't understand. They said, well, sir, you look different. 
In fact, you're acting different. And I knew I was different. I now had Christ in my heart. Well, and there had to be a level of, of humility. You, you talked earlier about you had the ego bigger than Idaho. And that shift had to be physically apparent. Yeah. You know. So we, the next, you know, couple days, we continued to do our rehearsals. And then finally, we were ready to execute our mission. We knew it was going to be dangerous. And so it's 3 o'clock in the morning. We're ready to launch. And a storm comes. And it's a storm. It's like fog and rain. And then the fog gets thicker. And I can't even see my hand in front of my face. And even with combat, there's still safety concerns. And so I knew that we were going to have to delay the mission. Four, five, six, sun's coming up. Now we're going to lose our edge. Those are Rockies. If they see us, they'll be able to shoot us down. Seven, eight, finally about 8.45, 9 o'clock, we launch. In the morning. In the morning. Fully daylight. Full daylight, no fog. We land on our objective. Everything works well. I mean, my soldiers moved out. Many of the Iraqi soldiers were rubbing their eyes because they thought we were a mirage or something. How could any force be this deep, this quickly in this battle? My soldiers moved. They either killed or captured the Iraqis and moved into position. And then we began the fight. My vehicle commanders landed, and I wasn't expecting them for for probably 24 to 36 hours. They said, we'll be there in an hour. I had no idea what was going on. But, you know, I just asked them, did you land in the right place? (laughs) And they told me they did. And then he said, I'll tell you later, out. I found out two things about that battle after Desert Storm. I talked to an Air Force weatherman who showed me the pictures of where my unit was with the fog over top of it, the clouds. And when we were moving forward, we decided at 8.45 to move. Those clouds moved forward and moved to the left and to the right. So they were basically over the Iraqi divisions that we were flying between and behind. So they probably could hear us, but they probably couldn't see us. Couldn't see you, wow. And then my vehicle commanders called me and said, you know, They linked up with me, and I said, did did you land in the right place? They said, sir, we did. They were about 60, 70 miles from where we were initially landing. And they said that as they started moving forward, they knew they were going to have to slug it out in this muddy terrain. They saw a sandstorm in front of them, and it was blowing what looked like a road in the exact same azimuth that they needed to move to link up with us. They rolled their vehicle up on that, what looked like a road, and the vehicle held. And so my vehicle leaders, my commanders said, this was a no-brainer, sir. We just lined up and we went 60 miles an hour on what looked like a road. They linked up with us. We had violent fights one right after the other. My soldiers couldn't dig foxholes because the ground was so saturated. So... Uh, we just used folds in the ground. What we would know in Idaho is irrigation ditches and things like that to protect ourselves. Day three came, and we were fighting violent fights one after another. Sometimes we were fighting in three directions at the same time. The picture I often tell people is the covered wagons of the West, the circle, 
we were getting hit from the north, the west, and the south simultaneously. Vehicles were trying, Iraqi soldiers were trying to escape or reinforce their brothers, and we were stopping them. It was exactly why we were put where we were put. Yeah. Day three, we were told that a tank brigade was coming to knock us off, an Iraqi Republican Guard tank brigade. My soldiers had no place to hide. All we had was head, uh, Kevlar headgear and Kevlar vest. We couldn't dig in. So we had, you know, we were, we were sitting ducks for them. All that night, we waited for that tank brigade to attack us. They never came. And I didn't know what happened until later I went to Fort Benning, Georgia, and I was talking to the next generation of Army leaders. And that's when they told, I met a commander who said that he attacked, a, or he, his gunner reported that they had 70 tanks head to tail on a road, and he requested permission to engage. Well, my friend deployed his unit and in about four minutes destroyed 70 tanks. Oh, my goodness. When they captured, you know, they went and took care of the wounded and captured the POWs. One of the POWs was the brigade commander of that tank brigade, and his mission was to knock off the unit on Highway 8 at El Qadir, and that was the city that we were, that you def- were in. That we were in. Day four, the war was over. We had, you know, our unit had killed or captured over a thousand Iraqis. We destroyed scores of vehicles. Not one of my soldiers was killed. Not one of my soldiers was wounded. And not one of my soldiers even had a scratch. That still gives me chills today. Absolutely. Absolutely. Still gives me chill today. And, uh, you know, it. I sat down at a pump station, uh, irrigation pump station out there and I, in Iraq, and I just cried tears of joy. And I knew that God had been the leader of our unit, God had been the leader of my life, and I told him at that time, I will go anywhere and any place you ask me to go. So um, this, this is a breathtaking story. Uh, you know, it's... Um we talked before, you know, whether or not we would talk about this, and and I and I've heard it in your words, and and so it is very powerful, and I think it bears saying. But we, this is a shorter show, and um, so let's fast forward because life happens. You and your lovely wife Gail are living the dream life in Round Valley, at which is you. We talked; it's so beautiful up there. And you're called to this church in Ontario. So let's yeah. talk about that briefly. Yeah, I was. Uh, I had pastored in Boise. I, after I retired, uh, I just felt moved to move to become a pastor, and so I took the classes that I needed to do. and And I pastored in Boise, and then we moved up to Cascade, and that was going to be my retirement home. That was going to be it. I was just going to chill out, enjoy the west view that we had from our beautiful home there. Gail had designed it. Uh, we had it built specifically on the, exactly how we wanted it. And I got this call from a friend who says, I'd like you to come and take over this church because I'm leaving to go to California to take another church. And I said, uh, no, 
<laughs> no, nope. <laughs> and so he said, let's try it again. I just need you to be a caretaker. And I said, okay, but tell the board, whoever, I do not want this. I do not want to be part of this church other than I'll take care of it for a couple months until they find the pastor. Well, that was September of 2017. By November of 2017, I fell in love with the church, but we also loved our home. And Gail and I both were feeling like, you know, we're making this house an idol. We don't really want to go to this church. We feel God calling us to go, but we really don't want to leave our house. So the board finally found a candidate. He was from Arkansas. And I actually helped in the process to find this guy. I was really hoping that this guy would be able to do it, and then I could still stay at Cascade. And uh, we were going to interview this guy on a Monday. Saturday, both Gail and I looked at each other and said, we got to put our name in. We're making this house an idol. And Gail said, I know, I've been... God's been telling me the same thing that, you know, we're being selfish and he needs us to be in Ontario. So I called the chairman of the search committee and said, you know, I know you're going to interview this guy on Monday. You're going to make a decision. I don't want to throw a monkey wrench in your plans, but But. (laughs) I'd like to be considered. He said, how did you know? And then I went through the process of telling about both Gail and I were were being told by God that we were making this house an idol and we should let it go and go to Cascade or go to Ontario. And he said, no, how did you know that the guy from Arkansas just pulled his name out? Oh, my goodness. And I said, I didn't. And I still get chills. (laughs) Yeah. And I said, okay, I'll be there. And so in, instead of interviewing this guy from Arkansas on Monday, they interviewed me, and Monday night I became pastor of the church. And that was, you know, I mean, I think about Desert Storm where I told God I would go anywhere. Yeah. And he held me to that. Yep. He held me to that he does promise. Do that. And, yep. uh, you know, and I am so thankful that he did. Because the church has been amazing. It's a beautiful, multicultural church and engaged in the community in so many ways. You know, and, and I find that in so many churches in the Treasure Valley. They are, we, the Treasure Valley is a melting pot. So it is common here. You know, when I talk to other pastors and other leaders in other parts of the country, it, it amazes me the, the divides that happen even among Christians because this is such a melting pot. And I look around our church and it's, you know, it's such a multicultural church. We have we have immigrants there who barely speak English and I'm like, how do you understand? But they're but they're there. Yeah. They're faithful to the Lord. Yeah. And I love this. I know I know there's so much more to your story. Can I have you back another day sure. late, later in the year and and we'll talk more because your story doesn't end here. You you have some phenomenal stories. So I, I'd love to invite you to come back later in the year, and we'll and we'll have a, a second we'll have a second episode of Spotlight Part Two. Part Two. <laughs> so, uh, how do our listeners get more information about Ontario Community Church, though? Uh, they can uh, 
contact the church. Uh, we've we've we got hacked on our website, and it's just been frustrating. But uh, we're in Ontario, uh, two forty Southeast Third Street in Ontario, and the phone number is five four one eight eight nine eight one four zero. So so right now, webs is not a good solution, but yeah. I, I bet your address was probably there. On yeah. The web. So that's cool. It happens every week, folks. Our time has run out. Tom, I want to thank you again for joining me today. This has been an absolute pleasure. You can pick up your own copy of Christian Living Magazine in over 600 locations throughout all of Southern Idaho. Or if you're out of the area, you can read us online at christianlivingmag.com. You can read the rest, well, not the rest of, but a big chunk of Tom's story in our current issue. I hope you'll join us again next week when I'll be joined by Brad Stewart as we chat about the upcoming Iron Sharpens Iron Conference. I'm sure he will encourage you with hope and inspiration. Until next time, God bless. This has been Christian Living Spotlight, an extension of Christian Living Magazine, where it's our desire to deliver faith, hope, encouragement, and perhaps a new perspective about God's love to our listeners and readers as we showcase the hands and feet of Christ at work in our community and beyond. For more information on today's program, the magazine itself, or to subscribe, go to www.christianlivingmag.com or search Christian Living Magazine on Facebook for an uplifting start to each day. Christian Living Magazine is free to pick up in over 600 locations throughout Central and all of Southern Idaho. Our mailing address is Christian Living Magazine, P.O. Box 867, Meridian, Idaho, 83680. Or you can email us at christianlivingmag at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we invite you to join us again next week.